You're listening to Talking Buildings, the podcast related to all things about the built environment. Here is your host, Paul Angus. Today on Talking Buildings, we're in the heart of Sydney, which needs no introduction to our global listeners. You're in for a real treat today as we have a very special guest joining us. I'm really pleased that Matt Bourne, the incoming CEO of Roberts Co., as of the 1st of February 2023, is joining us in conversation. Welcome to Talking Buildings, Matt. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Since 2018, Matt successfully led the New South Wales and ACT building team at John Holland as the general manager. Matt's tenure saw John Holland re-establish itself as a leading builder in New South Wales, including the successful delivery of several major projects, such as the recent Sydney Football Stadium redevelopment, the Allianz Stadium. Prior to John Holland, Matt enjoyed a 24-year career at A.W. Edwards Property Limited, where he learned his trade developing from undergraduate side cadet to an associate director. A relationship-driven leader, Matt is passionate about the future of construction, specifically diversity, wellness, technology, and ensuring the growth of all those around him. A warm welcome to the hot seat, Matt, and thank you for taking part today. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be in the hot seat. Uh, And you actually have me on my first official engagement uh, at the conclusion of guarding leave from my previous role. So there we go. It's it's great to be here. An exclusive. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So thank you very much for joining us today on this session, Matt. You really have climbed a ladder of success within the construction industry, starting as a cadet. Similarly, I began my career as an apprentice, which I have my dad to thank for. I can still recall his pearly words of wisdom when I left school, get a trade, son, and how right he was because it propelled my career to where I am today. I'm interested to know what and who was instrumental in you becoming a cadet with A.W. Edwards. From a young age, uh, when I was a younger boy, I've always wanted to work. And I remember when I was about probably 10 or 11 and Mm -hmm. I was asking my mum to go get a part-time job. Mm -hmm. And she turned around and said, no, you need to be 13, you need to be 14, you you need to be a little bit older. You could work a little bit younger back in those days. Uh So um, they held me back a little bit, but I eventually convinced them to to get some part-time work and I'd work part-time doing a bit of labouring for some builders uh, that my mother used to work for. Yeah. Uh, sell confectionery door-to-door for some charities and, and things like that. Uh-huh. And that turned into a KFC delivery driver of all things, uh, well before Uber's time. KFC. So KFC delivery driver, believe it or not. Things so, looking good. That's right. So. <laughs> but, um, you know, like most kids at, at that age, when you're 17 or 18, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was yeah. good at maths. I was good at economics. I mm-hmm. liked being practical yep. uh, with things. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know where to go or what to do. And I actually applied for the police force, believe it or not. Did you really? Yeah. So interesting story. Wow. Uh, didn't have my HSC yet, mm-hmm. and the response was basically you need to you need to finish and, and then come back and reply again. So yeah. while that was sort of going through, I was pretty keen to to join the police force. Uh-huh. And I went to a careers fair one day, and I was walking around with my mates and and being sort of seventeen or eighteen year old. It was the end of the day, and we're you know, mucking around a little bit, and I saw this one gentleman sitting in the corner, mm-hmm. um, and no one came and spoke to him all day. And I thought, yeah. right, this, this fellow's been at this store all day. No one's spoken to him. But I'm going to go speak to him. And, and you were that aware even at that age yeah, as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, I yeah. don't know how that happened with a, with a group of mates around, but yeah. that's that's how it rolled that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was down at Wollongong where I grew up. So I went over and spoke to him, and he ended up being a quantity surveyor. Wow. And he okay. sat there and, and pointed out different things in the building we were in about, well, look at that curve. You know, I could build that. Yeah. more economical, I can make that square, I could do this. And uh-huh. started talking about sort of square meterage and yeah. and it just seemed to be a practical application of of maths and, and mm-hmm. potentially economics to me. So mm-hmm. 
So there we go. You know, months down the track, I changed my university applications yeah. um, to be number one construction economics, actually, up at University of Technology, Sydney. All part of uh, this conversation you had with QS. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was QSA. <laughs> it diverges yeah. soon. So. Wow. And, and the next five were all sort of business or economic degrees and so forth. Yeah. So that application went in uh-huh. and I thought, right. And, and, he, and he told me about there was these things called cadetships. And I thought, what are they? And mm-hmm. And back then, the Yellow Pages was was the Bible. So I sat down with my mother, who was a lot of the um, drive behind what got me going at yeah. that age. Uh-huh. And um, I picked out all the builders in the Yellow Pages and wrote yeah. them a letter. And so there was 50 builders at that okay. point of time. Yeah. One of them happened to be A.W. Edwards that was building the Nantian Su Buddhist Temple mm-hmm. um, over the hill of where I lived, just okay. south of Wollongong. So not yep. many people have, who've driven south of Wollongong. You drive a bit on the F6, about five minutes past Wollongong itself, and you'll okay. see the Buddhist Temple up on the hill on your left right. as you drive down towards Dabda. Yeah. So they were building that, that and, and I wrote to them, oh, I better pick this builder up. And they're on the yellow pages as well. That's great. Uh-huh. And ended up um, up in Sydney a couple of weeks later, catching a train up and not knowing where I was going. Bought mm-hmm. my first tie. It was a Yogi Bear tie. I still got it. You wore a Yogi Bear <laughs> tie to your a, interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but no, I do. <laughs> That's right. I still kept it. So, I still yeah. got it there at home. Yeah. And went to the interview and... The first thing the gentleman said is, what's his construction economics? We do construction management. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know the difference. Uh-huh. And he said, we don't do that. He said, yeah. we do constru- we're, we're builders. We do construction management. This is what you do. And yeah. I went, okay, I'll change. And uh-huh. so he said, well, if you change and we need someone down at the temple, yeah. um, then we'll we'll get yourself a gig down there and, and see how we go. So so I changed, yeah. not knowing anything what I was getting into. Uh-huh. Got the job started on site down there. Yeah. And uh, that was the beginning of my career. Uh, at Edwards. Wow. And that happened to be the last year they advertised in the Yellow Pages. Was it? As well. The you know, company's been around since 1924 or 1921, if I get that right. I've yeah. been there for a little while, but uh, long time family company. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't realize, had no idea at the time how yeah. lucky I was to fall into that role. And that was my first year as a cadet and yeah. did the course six years part time at UTS. Uh huh. And the temple finished a few months after starting. They said, right, well, you either moved to Sydney or you, you've got no job. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, packed up a bags and yeah. and went to Sydney and lived in student residence for a year or two. And yeah. that started off the, the Sydney life. Gosh. So, there we go. That's and and what, what could it have been? So, slightly indoor moment. What if you uh, became a police officer? Are you any regret, regrets on that or, or are you happy yeah. with your career? To be honest, when you're that age, you, you really don't know what you're getting into. I mean, That's I think right. very rarely you know what you're getting into or where it's going to go and yeah that's you know when you get to advice to young people you don't worry it's fine no one knows what they're doing at that age and uh-huh. probably even a bit older yeah not many people know what they're doing so yeah, yeah. so i think um yeah a bit of a sliding doors moment who knows where it could have gone either way wow but that, that's it i yeah. was not expecting you to see that <laughs> <laughs> i that's love a it fair story yeah and i love that you still got the yogi yogi, yogi bear track yeah, yeah. yeah that's right <laughs> So from your experiences with A.W. Edwards and as the general manager um, of New South Wales and ACT at John Holland, clearly being passionate and enthusiastic about construction, communities, business leadership and the design and delivery team has certainly played a pivotal role in nurturing who you are today. Can you elaborate what was your driving force to our younger listeners? And also, have you got any advice on what you would give them of anyone who's inspired to hearing from your Yogi Bear story? <laughs> <laughs> I need to keep that as a theme through the interview, won't we? <laughs> so, look, look, I think um, 
you know, you really need to enjoy what you do. And if you don't enjoy what you do, you're not going to get longevity in, in what you're doing. And mm-hmm. But it takes time to figure that out. Yeah. It, it really does. You really need to be a fair way into your career, I think, to really mm-hmm. – this is really what I want to do and it's really what I love. And it, it needs experience to that. So so I think just understanding that it takes time to, to work that out is, is yeah. a good piece of advice and it takes time to work out what you want to do. And and just because you've, you've started off with one degree or one apprenticeship or, or one traineeship at a job somewhere, it doesn't yeah. mean that's where you're going to end up. So if, you, if you're good enough, you'll move upwards and onwards and leftwards yeah. and rightwards and, and end up where, you, where your heart sort of settles. And yeah. if you can find that, then you're doing well, I think. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but a couple of pieces of advice, you know, mm-hmm. I was given when I was younger, um, it was actually at a job I went back down to Wollongong for a few years later. Yeah. And I remember sitting in a, um, it was my first sort of subcontract meeting and I was sitting in there and yeah. you know, a project manager was there and mm-hmm. site manager was there and yeah. a few consultants were there and, and, mm-hmm. and there was all these sort of acronyms that were brought up. And, and, and were you still quite young then? Really? I was still quite young. I would yeah. have been 20, 21, okay. something like that. Yeah. So, and. I remember um, after the meeting, my uh, project manager pulled me aside and said, Matt, do you understand every word that was said in that meeting? I said, no. He goes, how come you didn't ask? Uh-huh. And he said, I guarantee you, you're not the only person in that room that didn't understand everything was said. Yeah. And I said, right, okay. And mm-hmm. so that stuck with me. And, and yeah. I remember sort of being in other meetings since then, whereas something was, was mentioned, I said, excuse me, can you explain that to me? Mm-hmm. And then- more often than not, when I've said that, yeah. two or three other people said, yeah, I didn't quite understand that either. And you'd be surprised, it still happens today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but that's, that gave me a great deal of comfort to sort of deal with things through meetings and mm-hmm. you know, getting into new markets and so forth, you know, like the data center market or a health market or whatever, there's acronyms yeah. galore, oh, you yeah, know, transport, that. everything, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's like a foreign language. But once you get in there and sort of understand it, mm-hmm. it becomes normal business. Yeah. And I remember my first data center meeting with um, a project years and years ago, and uh-huh. it was just that you could nearly have a whole conversation without saying a word. Uh, and, and I thought, right, okay, I don't yeah. understand that, but I understand what it's doing. And I just asked the questions. And I was a director at that stage. Yeah. Um, I still didn't understand it. It doesn't mean you don't know. It uh-huh. just means you need to understand and you need to yeah. sort of understand what the conversation is. Of course, so, yeah. So that, that sort of that piece of advice, but never being scared to ask, was, was fantastic. So. Yeah. I think secondly is just learning about, for the what I was saying at the start, what you're passionate about and what drives you. Um, and that changes your career as you move on. Uh, it would have been 20 years into my career, I went back and, and undertook a, another degree. Not, oh, really? not building, which mm-hmm. was uh, an executive MBA at Sydney University. Yeah. And uh, we travelled around the world for two and a half years studying and doing startups and really? and all sorts of things. Yeah, oh, it was one of the best, best things I've done in my in, in my career uh-huh. and still very close with the people that we did it with. And, and it was no one else from construction, so it was different industries. You were getting outside influencers. And, okay. And so being open to, to things like that, being open to doing something new, being thrown in the deep end, making sure you are scared because if yep. you're not scared, you're not really pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just understanding that's normal mm-hmm. and that's what you should be doing. So if you yep. realise you're too comfortable, then – you're too comfortable. Yeah, you need, yeah. And if you've got the drive, you'll keep going. So, got you. so you mean like pushing yourself outside of your circle or outside your boundaries, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. So um, always always looking for the next step and, and yeah. um, you don't need to know everything. Like I was saying, you need to know everything that's said in the meeting. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You need to understand that and just yeah. work your way through it and that's normal. If you're scared or nervous, that's good because it means it means something to you. Yeah, and of it's important. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's um, making sure you're in that place as, as often as possible is, is another good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Just on a side note, so have you have you got like did you have a mentor when you were at AWS? I mean, because you, you you went from a cadet all the way up to um, being an associate director. So 
what happened in between? Or was that, was it always, did you have the drive and passion to, that was your dream to become a director? Or did you not know what you were doing and where you were going and in which direction, so, so to speak? I always um, had the drive to, to get somewhere and yeah. knew, who, well, I, I backed myself that one day I'd be, be in a certain position. Um, yeah. I was very fortunate at the time I was with Edwards, you know, it's a family company, you know, a great history, a great product, great people, yeah. um, uh, you know, there for a long time. And there's a reason for that. People stay at a company for a long time. So uh-huh. the career path I had through that was was very closely nurtured. Uh, I started just after the, you know, 91, 92, 93 sort of recession. Yeah. I came on the tail end of that. So I was the first cadet employed, I think, for two or three years. Uh-huh. And that's the best thing that ever happened to me. So I came into the industry at a, at a time. Yeah that you're really um, grateful for your job. For sure, yeah. Uh, you weren't jumping to be a project manager tomorrow yeah. or, or in year two or year three, as we'll, we'll talk about soon, and, um, about <laughs> yeah. where the market is at the moment. But it was, you're really grateful and you, you took time to learn things. And I was just, you know, with the site managers and, and the foreman and everyone there, it, it was the, the teachings uh, that I was was given, I still hold very dear to me today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's grand. So in my career, I've been involved in some notable projects that I've been very proud of to be involved with. Most recently, I was involved with Five at Five Paramount Square over in Western Sydney. But probably the standout project for me was Liverpool One. It's also known as Paradise Street Developments in Liverpool over in the UK. And um, for me, that was a game changer because it reinvigorated the city centre and included the construction of over 30 individual buildings, new shops, hotels, housing, leisure, everything, everything you can think of. So my question to you is, which projects or project are you most proud of and why? Yeah, look, I'm obviously proud of everything <laughs> you're involved with <laughs> is the right first answer. But Correct. look, I think uh, I've been involved in a lot of stadia work over the years, yeah. um, which I'll sort of lead on to. And so I think that journey through stadia is something very proud of and how yeah. that eventuated and sort of where it culminated only a few months ago. Uh-huh. Uh, some of the first projects I worked on um, were sort of Victor in the stadia world, Victor Trumper stand at the Sydney Cricket Ground. and Yeah. And following that, we put a bid in at Edwards, uh, what was called back then Spotless Stadium, which is now, I think, Giant Stadium, uh, okay. which is over at um, Western Sydney yeah. uh, in Hobush there. Uh-huh. And that particular bid and project, well, it was a very tight project, um, a very, very, very tight margin. Yeah. Uh, but we were coming in as the underdog and uh-huh. the whole um, sort of bid strategy and how we position ourselves was something was really my first time. I, I had the really two hands on the wheel and, okay, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it and we'll yeah. try to knock off what pack at the time. Uh, oh, yeah. We'd built the last couple of stadiums and yeah. quite close to the AFL. Uh-huh. And so we developed a strategy and we executed that strategy quite well and, and, uh-huh. and delivered it well yeah. and were eventual uh, windows of that project and, and then delivered the project well. But the project was really, it was a quick 12 months mm-hmm. and really it was a stepping stone to go to the next project, which is the SCG Bradman Noble stand, which okay. is the next sort of uh, larger project that happened yeah. after that. So I think just that journey through Stadia and developing the strategy and working that through yeah. um, and executing every single project on time, uh-huh. um, some of them made different amounts of money compared to others, but they were yeah. positive, uh-huh. was very yeah, positive and pleasing, and then that that mm-hmm. has obviously culminated in, in in me being able to you know help the team at, at John Holland win yeah. uh, Allianz Stadium, yeah, and develop that and and build that uh-huh. um, and complete that in the last few years. So yeah, yeah, so that journey of of bidding, you know, and the strategy of Allianz Stadium was one of the most pleasing experiences, toughest and pleasing experiences I've been through. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. It's a beauty as well. I've been it there. Is. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. 
So I'm, I'm going to ask you, you know what I'm going to ask you next, don't you? So on the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum, are there any projects that you'd rather forget? And what did you learn from that experience? Well, I, I think... Um Look, just like people, you learn from everyone you deal with, whether it's yeah. positive or negative, and pro- projects are the same. Yeah, um, I don't regret any projects I've been involved with. Some of them have been a lot tougher than others. Uh-huh. Um, I, th- I think it's also that the time, for me anyway, the time the project occurs, where the in the market cycle it is in the boom bust cycle, and whether it's in the tough market or a positive market makes a big difference. Yeah, my first um, sort of foray into a really tough market was post Olympics. Yeah, because I missed the 93 sort of recession. I was on the tail end of that and it was just slowly starting to come out and Uh working on a project in the city at time. uh, And it was was a refurb project. It was a very, very tough, very tough client. I was sort of 2IC under the PM at the time. But, Uh you know, we worked hard. We got through it. We ended up picking up the fit out and sort of turning the project around a little bit after that. But I still recall the battles uh, back in the day with (laughs) (laughs) with, there was no project managers back then. The architect was a project manager. Okay. Um, The client was was the client. Uh, Yeah. But it was was tough all around. Very tough, yeah. And it was a tough time when there wasn't a lot of work around. The notices came out to the... Um, everyone that um, if you want to take leave, take leave, uh-huh. uh, and we'll talk to everyone in a few months. I thought, wow, really? What's what's going on here? And that yeah. was the first time I'd been through that. Uh, right. Uh, very fortunate to be at a family company that just looked after everyone, uh-huh. uh, whereas some other companies were, were laying people off left, yeah. right, and centre. So, yeah. so that was a probably a, a more of a tough time, and that projects just, just get attached to that. And that's also yeah. the dot com bust. Uh-huh. Um, one interesting story on that project: um, there was a we we're doing the fit out. Uh-huh. I was um, on the top floor actually running the fit out at the time and the tenant downstairs uh, rang me and said, Matt, um, can you just stop work today? I said, well, what do you mean? We've got four weeks to go. Yeah. You're moving in. No, no, we'll, we'll pay. Just just stop work. We need the floor. Said, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, I okay, send everyone a note, down tools, yeah. you're, you're, all, you're all off, everyone go home and, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, for the day. And um, next thing you know, their security came up uh-huh. and one by one they brought employees up and, and fired them. Really? And sent them out of the building. Oh, no. And so they weren't allowed to go back to the desk. That was a dot-com bust. Wow. Uh, back um, 2001, I believe. So uh-huh. that um, was interesting to witness and mm-hmm. made you, again, very grateful, having yeah. been through, you know, the tail end of the 93, 94. Yeah. Uh, seeing that again, very grateful for a, for a job at the time. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> God, I wasn't expecting you to say that either. <laughs> <laughs> Many in our audience come from a building services background. Do you believe that the importance of building services has changed over the recent years? And what, from a builder's perspective, do you perceive as the challenges and opportunities? Yeah, fairly uh, open question there. But uh, look, I think what I've witnessed, and this is really looking through my eyes um, over my time in the industry here, is a transition of sort of risk through the life cycle of the project and where it's ended up. And yeah. It's probably across a few topics today. Um, but look back, back, you know, when I started, there was not many DNCs. There's mainly sort of construct only. And yeah. um, side note, I think my first tender I worked on, we had a guaranteed bill of quantities. I've still kept that <laughs> guaranteed really? bill of quantities. A couple <laughs> of little milestones I've got locked up at home that, yeah. that need to be looked after. But so that sort of level of, um, I say it's the right way, documentation and so forth, really yeah. just doesn't exist because it's not how we, we produce things anymore. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the level of, of skill sort of required to complete a contract has sort of dynamically changed over the years where it's still what's required up front is there, but it, but also what's required down the supply chain has increased, especially in the, in the reliance on subcontractors yeah. and, and their relevant skill level mm-hmm. um, has increased probably unproportionally yeah. you know, as to where we are today in mm-hmm. my personal opinion. So, mm-hmm. so I think um, 
you know, the challenges and, and opportunities going forward is really to, and that comes back to, you know, skill-based training and risk profiles, type yeah. of contracts we look at, how they're procured. Yeah. I'm a big fan of investing upfront in projects. I think there's a certain level of quality that just has to be there. Uh-huh. And I'm not targeting any project, anything in particular, but I think some of that's lost a little bit at the moment. I think yeah. that investment upfront, you know, that drive for, you'll be glad to hear this, drive for lower fees is, yeah. is uh, improportional to what you get in the outcome. Uh, and the value. So the investment there, the investment of the right consultants through the project can make a big difference. Um, You know, I was taught to walk in a room and look up and I still look up today at ceilings and it's all right. You can tell how good a building is by how well the services are set out. Yeah, yeah. I can tell that every single time I still do it. My wife looks at me, what are you doing? I'm just looking (laughs) for the lights and I still do it. And and you can see, okay, well, that's too close to a light fitting that sprinkler head. That should be moved there. Okay, that's probably just standard but hasn't been aesthetically set out properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So I think... um, that that's my one of my little yeah, checks of, of how well a whole building is constructed because if that level of detail has gone in to that, you can yeah. see what else is there. So, yeah. So I think to bring a little, from my sense, a, a bit of that back, and also then to help train, you know, the call it the undergrads and grads in the building degrees coming through. That that's yeah. what's important. That's what you need to do as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah. so I'll be looking to continue the push. Yeah, yeah. Uh, through in years to come. Yeah. I often think, so I'm involved in SIBC and, and a few different organisations, but I, I do believe that when the grads come out of university, that they should go and do like six months or, you know, a year or something on, on the tools to get a better practical experience, yeah. you know, not apprenticeship as such, but just to get that, that just to get that touchy-feely kind of aspect of what they're actually looking at, what they're designing, you know, because they don't know until they start going out in sight and yeah. feeling the sort of um, practicalities of everything, you know, don't you yeah. think? No, look, I completely agree. And look, when... Um Look, there's a there's a practical experience required for most degrees now, but it's mm. it's a bit loosely defined of what that is. It's not yeah. getting your hands dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very fortunate when I started. Um, I'll go back to one of the projects down Wollongong where you know, it was three of us on the job, and, and yeah. I was ordering the concrete, and I was getting yelled at by the concrete for getting the message wrong, and, and oh. you know for getting the quantities wrong. I was thinking I'll put the decimal. Uh, place in the wrong in the wrong spot once. Whoops! And we, <laughs> yeah, so we had we're, a, we we're had, in a bad way. <laughs> way was, it was a good way. We had a few oh, yeah. extra concrete parts, not the most um, environmentally friendly concrete yeah. ball, but uh-huh. but you learn from those. You've got to learn yeah. from those things. I got taught how to set out. Mm-hmm. Um, I got taught how to use an angle grinder. I got taught just taught how to do things yeah. on, on the project. And you and you see people and you learn from people there. Yeah, so. Yeah. Before I started, that was actually part of the training. So it was a year, yeah. you had a year or two uh, as your cadetship as. You were an apprentice yeah. for a year or two. That's uh-huh. what you did. Yeah. And then you went into, uh, and you're still doing your degree, but you're, yeah. you're on the tools. Yeah, yeah. That got halted for certain reasons, you know, a long time ago. But yeah. there's, a, there's a good, yeah, we could probably talk for a few hours on this, I think. <laughs> but I think it's a good um, you know, discussion on how much of that should come back yeah. um, to, to really teach people what to do on site. Yeah, for sure. It's a way forward. Sibsi recently published TM65, which is dealing with embodied carbon in building services. And our members are grappling with um, the full building electrification and elimination of fossil fuels in buildings. Sustainability is an ever-evolving issue for our industry. What do you consider to be the big and emerging sustainability issues and challenges, and how do you see Roberts Co. responding? Look, I haven't walked in the door with Roberts Co. just yet. Yeah. Roberts Co. is looking to be sustainable in everything they do, including people, and they're, they're working through as you know with the health and well-being at the moment. But yeah. as far as sustainability, but once I get through the front doors, I'll be looking to lead like a strong culture of sustainability. It's very close to my heart. I've just recently gone off grid at my home completely. Oh, really? I'm just about there. So okay. uh, we've got um, 
actually just got my battery commission yesterday, believe it or not. So I can wow. open my app up and see what my percentage is and, and everything like that. So yeah. off-grid for sewer, off-grid for water, off-grid for uh, power now. I just need to uh-huh. optimise that and get that uh, the battery size yeah. correct. Got my EV ordered. Um, should be due in with 10,000 others that are coming in the country early next year. So oh, Wonderful. So um, And the LPG is just for the dive. So, yeah. so looking to sort of further... Uh, economise that. I think the internet's a hard line, so I need to speak to Elon Musk about giving the satellite. <laughs> so, <laughs> but once, once we do that, um, we'll be you know completely off grid. But it doesn't feel like off grid. So uh-huh. we had some people around my house last weekend, and they said, "Oh, you're." Well, thinking it was going to be some little sort of country shack or something with, you know, pedal power or something. I said, no, this is a, this is a nice big family home and, and yeah. you don't realise it. So yeah. um, so it can be done. If someone like me can do it with three boys and, and a dog and, yeah. and one hectare, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can go off grid. Uh, wow. So it's really close to my heart. So that, that's one of the opportunities at, at Roberts Co. that awaits me to mm-hmm. for the development. I know it's a lot of passion High level of passion for um, a lot of our staff, a lot of our clients and and consultants, but it's what we want to do. It's where we need to go, and and yeah. and absolutely, we're looking to drive that going forward. That's fabulous. You're, yeah. you're leading by example, aren't you? And, and by doing that, you'll be able to talk about that at meetings and, and move forward with consultants. Do you know what you're talking about? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So learning a lot about um, you know the solar, especially um, yeah. and and so forth. So, but um, yeah, I was just hoping my car turns up before I start. I think it won't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need to catch the train or the bus, I think, to make sure I live the life. Yeah. And what was the driver to convert to going off the grid? Yeah, interesting question. Look, I think um, it's probably a – look, I've just bought a property. Uh, we've just moved. It's only an hour outside of the city. It's yeah. not far. You know, if you're living in London or something, that would be normal. It would be close to the city. Yeah. Um, so, so absolutely no problem. I think in the last two years has is, is probably affected everyone a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, it affected me a lot the last two years. Yeah. Um, and – I think just looking at things a little bit differently, you know, especially the involvement I had overseas uh, with the EMBA through Sydney University and some clean energy startups and so forth, it really sparked an interest Mm -hmm. in me about there's so many of these around, but they're really not getting anywhere, what's going on, and and it really surprises you what is out there. So really looking to do my bit, show my kids that we're doing our bit, and they can also do their bit. So. So I'll really be looking to sort of integrate that into the business and, yeah. and to start whether we start in a sector or start on a project or start on some operations and really uh, developing a, a true carp neutral strategy for Roberts Co. Yeah, fabulous. So Matt, I know that you're a keen advocate for diversity, wellness and continuing the Roberts Co. push for the five-day working week in the construction industry. Let's focus a little on mental health in the construction industry and your involvement, support and fundraising with Beyond Blue. Sure. Another topic that's extremely close to my heart, especially um, probably most people from the last two years yeah. um, with what everyone's been through. Uh-huh. Um, look, I've had a lot of people close to me uh, suffer mm-hmm. incredibly um, yeah. through all through diversity, through wellness issues, overworked, yeah. um, and that's affected them and their families immensely. And yeah. you know, if you look at the industry now, the female representation number on average is, is around 12, 12.5%, which is the same as it was 35 years ago, it hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of people, companies doing great work and, and moving forward, and mm-hmm. which is fantastic, but it still really hasn't shifted the dial. Yeah. Presenteeism, you know, we suffer from having to be in the office, and yeah. and I'm a culprit of that myself, and I've got a rule that if I'm sitting there and realise I haven't been productive for half an hour, yeah. it's time to go home. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, not, not during the middle of the day, obviously. So. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> wish, You're yeah. sitting in a meeting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, but, saying but, nothing, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but I think um, you, you find yourself often at the end of the day sitting in the office, and, and you think you need to be there yeah um but most often than not and i've proven this even in my role i can step out i can yeah. drive home i've got an office set up i can yeah. i'm fortunate to have that 
and I can refresh and I can be a lot more productive. For sure. Yeah. So if I can do it, why can't everyone else do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and it's all a balance. Yeah. You know, right. So and so the industry still has, you know, a high divorce rate. And that's that's the effect that I've seen very close to me with some friends and uh-huh. And also the suicide rate. The male suicide rate is incredibly high through the industry. And the mm. apprenticeship, the young male suicide rate is even higher. And I think we're leading is the it? pack uh, through, through Australia. So mm-hmm. it's alarming. So if you, if you really break that down, mm-hmm. you know, why would anyone want to join the industry? You know, yeah. what kind of cells do we have for that? To, uh-huh. No wonder we've got a skill shortage and a worker shortage and a lack of diversity if, yeah. we, if you add all that together. So. Uh-huh. You know, the more focus we can we can have together and working together on mental health in the construction industry, you know, whether it be fundraising through Beyond Blue or what it might be through whether it be through the five day week or yeah, um, or whatever the the programs that we're looking to implement. I think we've done well on flexibility, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, you know, in that regard. So one of the implementations, obviously, that Roberts Co's led the industry in is the five day week. Just to make a point, I did lead that at John Holland as well, so they're also oh, yeah. on track with that as well. So yeah. even before this opportunity came up at Roberts Co, I was, I was there. Our team was there, uh-huh. um, and John Holland's currently producing a project now in not far from here, uh, yeah. just up the road, on a five day week. So, mm-hmm. so Roberts Co aren't alone now. They've been adjoined, and the, and it's the momentum is gathering yeah, um, dramatically. So, if you look at that. Um, you know, the stories I've heard from young engineers uh, over the years are incredible and I can't yeah. repeat some of them about um, how they've been treated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really, why would they still work in this industry and with that sort of battle on yeah. um, how they've been treated with it, with the hours they've worked and so forth. So uh-huh. so I think the five-day is is a good stake in the ground to, to push forward, um, to open the industry up, to increase the level of participation a five-day program shouldn't take longer than expectations. A lot of people say it's going to take longer. You know, you've, you've got a concrete pour, you can't do it one day, you need to then lose a few days and yeah. and so forth. So I still think um, there's a bit of ground to go to get that right. But um, if you really look at the right benchmark with a five-day week, it should take you less than a six or six-and-a-half-day program. Uh-huh. If you look at the hours you work and so forth, it should, if you're efficient, it should actually, I believe, it should actually take no longer than a six-day program. Yeah. So why can't we look at that? Why can't we uh, become more efficient in planning? Why can't we become more – I'm sure there's some easy wins on procurement, yeah. design, procurement, lettings, um, quality issues to get more efficient to make that work. Yeah. Uh, so the you know Project 5 that was completed with Roberts Co. with HI yeah. uh, was very successful and it was a 75% of workers stating they wanted to work five days a week. Right. Um, there'll be more data added to that. Uh-huh. Over the next year or two, with more projects to come, yeah. But I expect that data to show that you'll get an increase in quality, you'll get an increase in enjoyment, increase in wellness, increase yep. in participation, decrease in safety issues. Uh-huh. Um, so once we gather that and get more on board, it'll yeah. be an exciting time going forward. And and you know, it's not just New South Wales looking at the five day week; it's being talked about in other states at the moment as well. Excellent. But I think that push there to make a weekend for every worker uh-huh. is incredible push that's been led by but Alison and the team at Roberts Co. And, yeah. and they're not alone now. The industry is moving towards that. So Excellent. I'm really looking forward to being part of that going forward. Yeah. It's a little things that make a difference, isn't it? I personally find exercise in the body exercise the mind and something we all need to be mindful of. So with a healthy body and healthy mind thought set, boosting well-being, it's fair to say that running a half marathon and being part of a team that raised $42,000 for mental health in 2018 is very admirable. I understand that you're currently training to take part in the Gold Coast Marathon. So what kind of training goes into such a grueling test of stamina and your body's endurance, and what do you actually think about when you're running that far? 
Yeah, I think you've been speaking to people to get that insight. (laughs) (laughs) You already told me. Yeah, that's right. So, um, look, um, yeah, well done on the half. They're they're hard and the fundraising, 42,000 is incredible. So, well done. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, yeah. really well done. So, look, uh, I'm not a runner. Um, You look at me, I'm I'm not not built to be a runner. I was a front row in in rugby league (laughs) growing up, so it's certainly not my forte, but... Look, some years ago, uh, I think it was after I turned 40, uh, I'd always enjoyed sort of running. I'd done a few halves here and there and a few yeah. fives and tens and and realised I had to get myself uh, sorted. Uh, yeah. So uh, the Gold Coast Marathon is what everyone calls the, the beginner's marathon. It's pretty flat. Yeah. But it's still 42, yeah, 0.17, I think, kilometres. So it's still it's still 21 miles. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, training for that, when I undertook that the first time, that was something um, – that certainly you can't do alone. Uh-huh. And if you ever want to learn everything there is to know about yourself, you'd need to train for a marathon. Yeah, My training, uh, I developed a training plan actually through an experienced runner. And this was back in uh, twenty start of 2018. Yeah, The um, amount of hours and kilometres you need to do is incredible. And you need to agree that time with your family. And, and yeah, look, yeah. for me, I'm an early morning person. So I was getting up at 4, 4.30 oh, really? and doing runs. And I was yeah. in Hunters Hill at the time. Uh-huh. I started training through um, the start of well, it was start of January into December uh, yeah. for what was then I think a May or a June run, and um, yeah, the battles I had even running in the morning. That's when all the spiders webs came out, and you know you seem to just find them. <laughs> yeah, just, and, and if, I, if anyone had a camera on me at the time, oh, I, I just it. would have looked a bit, a bit, <laughs> a bit different. Just imagine. So, that time you know you normally try and find somewhere where someone's already run and you run behind them, so then yeah. they, they would have cleared the spiders webs out yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, but look, I, I trained really hard for that. Went on at a few um, halves, ended up losing a lot of weight, yeah. getting quite fit. Uh-huh. Um, and then I think I, I probably peaked about four to five weeks out from the marathon. I was probably uh, my fittest. Uh-huh. And I went for a run. I thought I could do anything. And then I was at a little tweak. My, oh, yeah. my um, left calf, I think, at the time. Oh, no. Oh, no. I just trained training for four months. Yeah. And I had to stop and walk back to the car and, and it was it was a tear. Oh, no. And I thought, oh, no. Yeah, what do, yeah. I, what do I tell everyone? Everyone's, I've told the whole world I'm doing this and yeah. what's going on. And so I couldn't run for two weeks and then I just went under some intense physiotherapy and uh, my wife became my strapper, uh, learning how to strap my, my ankle and just slowly yeah. got into it. And so I went up to the race and uh, got strapped and everything and got in the race and and decided, well, I've, I think I can still do the pace I was trying to do four weeks ago. So I did, yeah. the, did the pace and I got about – and the and the, the uh, calf ended up being fine. Uh-huh. And, but I just hadn't run that distance for a little while. And yep. so I, I got about, I think, 22 or 23 Ks in. It was a bit hot mm-hmm. at the time and the wall just came down and it dramatically yeah. – and I became delirious and – Really? You know, I was trying to make sure no one from – this is really bad for me to say this – no one from first aid saw me because yeah. I thought they were going to make me stop and I thought, I'm not going to stop. Yeah, There's yeah. no way I'm going to stop. Yeah, I'm you're gonna committed, keep, yeah. I'm going. Yeah. And, and and so I kept going. I had to walk for a bit and I had to get going. And and the crowd at the time was amazing. They yeah. they saw me and, and some people came over and gave me some snakes. Some people came over and gave me some other lollies. And, yeah. and it just got you yeah, sort of slowly going again. And yeah, yeah. the thing about the Gold Coast Marathon, you get to where the finish line is, but you've still got 10 kilometres to go. You've got to go up and around another loop. So, oh, so you, so you can see the finish you line, but you've got, you you've got, got to go, go all the way yeah, past it. And <laughs> past it up north, yeah. So. Yeah. 
So I remember um, going past the finish line and seeing the people I was, I was running with uh, finishing. I thought, right, that's that's not a good sign, but I'm still here. I'm still going. Yeah. And so I was getting a pace back and going again, and, and that was probably the hardest 10 k's I've ever done. And yeah, yeah. you just want to stop every sec, every second. You thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? And yeah. but the people on the side kept me going. Uh-huh. And then I remember coming in. This true story. Coming into the yeah. the finish line, and, uh-huh. I, and I just looked up at the stands, and I just. Somehow I picked out my wife and boys oh, really? at the time. Yeah. And I saw them and they looked at me and this burst of energy just came. I don't know where it came from. It uh-huh. just came out of nowhere. And I looked like I was really a strong finisher. <laughs> I you, were, this, you were sprinting, Sprinting were you? down the end really? and, and came in and finished the um, the run. Yeah. And, um, yeah, couldn't walk for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> but but that feeling now, yeah. I've, I hold that. You know, and I, and that's what I think about now when I run. Yeah. So what I've just I've just started. So in the last couple of weeks, training again. Okay. Um, not long, just getting some six seven k's, just starting to get a little bit more in. And yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to start too early, but I'll start training proper probably early February. And I'm training for another run that's on first of February at the moment. Okay. And I've got to, we're about to go to the UK, so I'm, I'm going to be doing that overseas in that nice cold. Be very uh, cold. Very cold. Yes. Yeah. So you know what that teaches you is well, you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um. You need a good strategy and you need yeah. to implement that strategy. So that's where most, you know, most failures of strategy is the implementation, not the strategy itself, is you yeah, don't yeah. implement it the right way. So uh-huh. um, you need to be agile when things pop up and, yeah. and, and adapt. Yeah. Um, so those those are so relevant to what we do yeah. and what I'm about to undertake at Robert's Co. Of course, yeah. Uh, so that was, yeah, something I'll never forget. I'm looking to do that again. So let's look out everyone at Robert's. So I do like uh, getting everyone in fun runs and, and yeah. doing and, and raising money for uh, Beyond Blue and the like. So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be doing a few of those, everyone listening. Awesome. Uh, and uh, <laughs> joining yourselves, Paul. <laughs> so, so they're fun things to do, right? You can do five tens and some of course. do halves and they're just really good things to do. And there's more for your mental well-being. That's really why you're doing it. Yeah. Fantastic. So fundraising is clearly in your blood. So I'm aware that of Robert's quote, continuing support of the property industry foundation, which is also close to my heart. I'm aware that Robert's Co. are currently building the 19 bed Haven house on South Dowling street. How important is giving back to you and why? Yes. Look, as you probably heard, it's, it's, it's a real uh, key part of, of who I am. Yeah, so Robert's Cove committed to the Haven House South Dowling and it's 19 beds for the homeless youth with the yep. Property Industry Foundation and it's a lot of um, skills and uh, so forth, the time and, and skills that they've donated to, to get that across the line, which is yep. incredible. Oh, yeah, um, so that. it's fantastic and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting a part of that when I, when I start. So yep. it's um, it's really a positive thing to do and, and I think, um, you know, what's really important to me is sort of not – not what we've built. Yes, I'm. A, you know, obviously, quality and everything is very important. But how we build and how we how we've left the place that we've entered yeah. after we've left. Have we improved the lives? Mm-hmm. You know, have we um, have we made it a better place? So, yeah. so not what we've built, but how we've built is, is incredibly important to me. So, how often you know what industries get the chance to make an impact like that in mm-hmm. um, whether it be um, through PIF or, or through through somewhere else or through a different you know socioeconomic area you might be building in or, or, or working yeah. in. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we can do, and I actually think you know a positive social impact is a clear social responsibility for us builders and and the yeah. leading companies around. Like it's something that we have the obligation to do. Mm-hmm. And so I therefore see that as my obligation mm-hmm. um, to lead that. So so it's really important um, to me and I know it's incredibly important to everyone involved. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm sure that you're looking forward to working closely with Alison Myrams to continue championing change via Robert Coe's five C's, the construction through cooperation, collaboration, communication, compassion and community. You certainly do have very, very, very big boots to fill there. 
I'm also keen to hear about what's inspired you to join Roberts Co and the key challenges that lay ahead. Sure. Um, big question. <laughs> 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 look, I, I think um, one, look, Alison's not going anywhere. She'll remain executive chair. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, we're quite proud in calling ourselves the dream team. Our cultures align perfectly, a fit like a glove. Yeah. Uh, so, so hopefully you can see that with what I've talked about now with the five C's, uh, everything I believe in, um, everything I like to do yeah. is what Roberts Co. stand for and believe in. So, uh -huh. so I think the fit's perfect and that had to be before anything else. That's what it had to be based on. Yeah. So um, without that, then it's, it wouldn't last. So that's there, uh -huh. which is fantastic. Yeah. So I've known and, and respected Alison and the team you know, for some time yeah. at Roberts and there comes a time in, in one's career when you potentially seek out new challenges. Yeah. Uh, and look, I wasn't wasn't actively seeking anything out, but look, yeah, I was thinking about okay, what's next uh -huh. um, for me sometime this year. And yeah. the the gods shone down on me, and, and the opportunity arose. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a plan. Um, it, yeah. It's an opportunity that that came up. Um, I know I'm incredibly fortunate that this opportunity arose. Yeah. Um, look, I remember thinking even before it arose that. Um, what I could do. I'm very careful about, you know, who I might align myself with or what I might do and, and, yeah. and it's based on values. Uh -huh. And um, I say this to Alison, I remember thinking about, well, maybe I can, you know, help out Alison a little bit or do something in sometime in the future or, you know, maybe I can add some value to that company. But I was never thinking about a, a CEO role because uh -huh. uh, obviously I wasn't aware of the move that was, that was being undertaken. Yeah. So a few months later, here we go. So all I can say is, you know, I suppose how fortunate I am. But look, the business itself is – it's five years young. It's incredibly stable. It has an incredibly strong backing. Yeah. Um, what they've achieved to date, you know, led by the team, is unheard of. You know, they've got a strong market share through Sydney. They've got a great balance sheet. They're financially successful. Yep. Um, they now uh, have a strong presence in Victoria. Uh huh. Um, seven months young. Yeah. And um, they've also changed the industry for good already. So all in five years, it's an incredible outcome to be. You know, really have a strong foundation set across yeah. the eastern seaboard. Uh -huh. And coming into a new business like five years is probably a natural time for us to call it a startup to to have yeah. a change. They're looking at more of a, a scale up and a growth phase now. So yeah. um, it's normal for something like this to take place yeah. in five years. And to come in at this time, bring some new energy and help drive the, you know, like a long term sustainable yeah. and diverse future yeah. is really what I'm about and what I'm looking to to get in inside with Roberts Co and, and help lead with the team. So you know, I, I don't really see any challenges. I see opportunities. I yeah. know that's a line everyone will probably pick me up on, but I'm, like, I'm quite a positive person and yeah. everything's an opportunity no matter where it is. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, opportunity to, you know, further integrate the Victorian business, only seven months young, as I was saying. There's uh -huh. some exceptional talent down there. They're doing some exceptional projects and some great innovation. Yeah, yeah. I'm really keen to get inside and have, and have a good look at and, and expand on that. So. Yeah grow our staff and their careers, which is important to me, which is really a measure of success as to how I go, as to how everyone grows around me, uh -huh. um, add value in the marketplace and, and continue the push for change. So yeah. to be able to come into a company uh, in the market that we're in, in that level of market and remain critically as uh, what I call agile yeah. um, and to be able to be agile. I mean, I am now the red tape, you know, uh -huh. so so I can't complain about things above me. I can't complain about, well, I can't do that because of this or, or whatever. It's, yeah. it's really, uh, I've got a really good chance to help lead that and drive that and, and ensure we're, yeah. we're adaptable, yeah. uh, we're agile mm -hmm. um, and we continue to push for change throughout the industry. Yeah. Fabulous. So all the stars aligned for you then, yeah? <laughs> it's exciting times. It is, yeah. yeah. There's obviously a lot of challenges facing builders in the construction industry right now with the supply chain due to COVID-19. 
sprinkled on top with the focus around accreditation, ownership, and doing the job right. How are you dealing with those challenges, and do we need to change the rules? And also, what role do engineers have to play to assist builders in this? Yeah, it's certainly been a challenging time the last couple of years, and, yeah. and quite an unusual time. But you know, there's there's some positives out of it. So I think to start off, like Roberts Co has started accrediting their um, young engineers through Engineers Australia, so oh, which yeah. is really good to see. So yep. I'm looking to can't wait to get in and further develop that uh-huh. um, in Victoria as well. So that's that's commenced, and we've talked a little bit about especially in service engineers and so forth, about the role I see is really critical, in, in especially in, in the phases of a project, to ensure yeah. that level of quality is there. Yeah, of course. As far as all that mixed in with the market, you know, it's the toughest conditions, yeah. you know, or probably the toughest couple of years I've seen in my, well, nearly, what, 28 years now. Yeah. Um, the impact, I've seen the impact of COVID through different lenses, which has been quite interesting. I've seen the impact of COVID through a company that has mainly government work to now yeah. a company that um, was highly leveraged in, you know, private work. And the response is quite different from clients. Really? Uh, so, yeah, when when COVID hit uh, in March 2020, uh, I yeah. believe, you know, Roberts Co. told their board that there would be a long tail, and that's true for them because of the amount of private work they had. So uh-huh. so when, you know, you get a time when all the, you know, balance sheets are, are stretched, yeah. uh, on top of that you get double-digit escalation, yeah. you know, the wars in Ukraine and so forth, mm. and the rain. Uh, especially here in New mm. South Wales. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, I remember having some speeches in, in, in April, May this year, and we'd lost 40% of time just in that period. And I think now the the lost productivity so far this year is something like 55%. Yeah. It's incredible. So had we'd all allowed for that, no one would be in business. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow everyone's still still going. And, yeah. and so I think um, – I think that's been a, a massive challenge and you've also got, um, you know, the shortage of skills and labour going on, which is the, the push of the young staff for, for higher wages and positions, which, yeah. is, which is challenging. Yeah. So all that mixed together um, is a sort of recipe that has sent, yeah, some, some builders down and some people down. So yeah. I think all of us, we are definitely hoping there's um, no more of that. It's not good for anyone. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is. We all need to support each other, make sure everyone gets through this. Mm-hmm. It is you know, disappointing that some of the private clients have not been sympathetic to some builders, mm. um, you know, saying we signed the contract and that's it. And look, the government, um, my experience has been generally positive. Um, yeah. A lot of departments I've dealt with in New South Wales have been excellent. Mm-hmm. Um a different level of response with uh-huh. some of them, but uh, had, had been excellent. So where I was, we were quite fortunate we could sort of negotiate our way through it, and that's where relationships yeah. come into it as yeah, well. Of course, if you yeah. have the strong relations, I believe you can get through most things. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's a challenging time. You know, at, at Roberts, um, we're careful who we work for. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm normally careful anyway, but look, we're careful who we work for. We, we're not in, a, in the business to do 100 projects at once. Um, mm-hmm. We do business to do the right projects for the right people. Of course. Yeah. Uh, to get the right outcome, to make sure we're value-centric uh, for what we need to do. So yeah. dealing with those um, going forward, it's a whole raft of things there. Is, is I'm really looking one for transparency with clients, uh, uh-huh. greater closer relations with clients. Yeah. Um, really looking for, you know, I suppose the engineers of the world to help us um, provide certainty of outcome, yep. especially with, with documentation and design, uh-huh. yeah. and that's critical to, to control that that real critical piece of the, of the um, delivery pipeline there. So, yeah. so and, and then you need to obviously um, do your job well at the same time. So um, you do your job well, you can hopefully negotiate your way through many things and, uh-huh. and provide value in the in this at the same time for your clients, then yeah. um, I think that's, that's a good outcome. So I've seen a... 
a glimpse of you know some procedures and innovations and so forth at, at Roberts, which obviously haven't got in under the hood yet. I'll be in there very soon, uh-huh. uh, so I'm very keen to get in there to explore those those a bit further and to um, further you know push those up and down in the markets that we work with. So I think there's a lot of um, positive outcomes that we can learn from the last two years, uh, especially with efficiencies yeah. um, to, to get through uh-huh. uh, wellness and so forth and, and go back to the five-day week there again. Yeah. Um, I think that's one thing taught us that we need to be careful and, and really look after our people's supply chain. Otherwise, we will have no one left to, yeah. to build for us. So watch this space. Yes. See what happens in 12 months' time. <laughs> <laughs> with all the challenges in the building industry, are you comfortable with the general skill levels and do you think we are missing any skills and if so, how do we address this issue? Yeah, look, I've been saying probably for some time in my previous roles that I think the skill level, in my opinion, is not where it has been. Yeah. Um, and that's across the board. And it's very hard to put your finger on that. And I remember I've had some talks even with some sort of um, government representatives and so forth at the time. They just looked at me with funny looks and, what do you mean the skill level's not there? Or what do you mean that's not there? Isn't it just – it's just an apprenticeship issue, isn't it? No, no, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. Uh-huh. You know? So in my opinion, the industry's changed – yeah, you know, obviously over time, but our teachings and like the people supply chain simply hasn't hasn't kept up with that change, uh-huh. um, hasn't adapted quickly enough, and, and COVID has probably exacerbated the skills gap, in yeah. my opinion, for that by the the shortage of, of people there. So, uh-huh. I mean, I, I talk a lot about um, you know how we build, but we need to maintain the focus on the quality of, of what we build, and I've talked a bit about that through. Uh, our conversation today. So mm-hmm. the skills gap in, in young undergrads and grads, I think like in standards and, and quality detailing is not where it used to be. And yeah. and I say this from personal experience, right? I, I was taught to, um, my site manager would say, Matt, go in there and, and you do the set out of the services for, I'll get, always come back to services and not yeah. because the interview, but it's just, it's how it's taught is yeah. to yeah. go back and- What's you, your experience? Yeah. yeah, you set that out um, yeah. in a reflected ceiling, you had a you know, set ceiling, you did set that out and give it to the sprinkler fitter, give it to the light fitter and yeah. mechanical subcontractor and, and uh-huh. get everything sorted and make sure it's the architect's happy with it and yeah. engineers are happy with it and yeah. everyone signs it off and, and so forth. And, and, um, and so that's, that's how we're taught. And we're taught to do, you know, hob details, waterproof details and everything. And, and, uh-huh. I think I've just seen that lapse um, in a lot of areas and especially and, – and it has been in some documentation areas, but it's also been because programs have been pushed. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's a big part of it, getting a clear program that can be delivered upon mm-hmm. um, that gives you time to do things properly is incredibly important um, and that's from right day one. Mm-hmm. So I think the quality side and the skills gap, and you, yeah. know, you go right back to concept of the project, uh-huh. that's where it needs to start yeah. and that's where you need to invest in. So you go back to, I mean, I suppose if you then even look at the people supply chain, yeah, um, there's been, you know, no, no shortage of conversation there. The Infrastructure Australia released a report you know, saying I think by next year we'll be 105,000 people short. Mm. Um, so, you know, saying that we, we need to bring more people in. But uh-huh. obviously um, you've heard me before and you've heard Roberts Co and Alison talking about the, the female Participation yeah. still sitting at twelve and a half percent. I think it's like something like two percent on average on trades. Uh-huh. It's disastrous. It needs yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. There's so much opportunity there that we can do to increase that level. Of that we can bring have that skill level, have that diversification in our yeah. own backyard, invest yeah. in that to bring that up, mm-hmm. um, and, and and potentially solve the majority of our own problems uh, yeah. by doing that. So uh-huh. um, it makes just simple business sense that that's what we need to do. Yeah. Uh, apart from being the right thing to do. So and that's one of the benefits of just going back to the five-day week, um, that you can be have a career mm-hmm. and a family life yep. and be a mother and be a father yeah. at the same time. And so going back a bit, I mean, my, uh-huh. my wife had direct experience on that. The story, 
and we have come a long way for this, but I was thinking about this on the car on the way in. It was actually only 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, we had our first child and, and um, she asked for some maternity leave and I said, no, we don't do that here. Oh, really? No, we don't do that. Just what are you thinking? Why, why are you asking that for? And Seriously? She came home and yeah. I'm going, oh, okay. What we she to wanted do? to come back to, yeah, so, yeah. you know, what are we going to do? Okay, well, yeah. yeah, you need to work and, yep, you need to, okay, yep, no problems. And, and um, then... You know, can I come back three to four days a week? You know, we could only get childcare. It was, you know, one childcare centre one day and one yeah. another day and with all that sort of Logistical drama nightmare. that everyone yeah. goes through at the moment. I still think yeah. that seems to, it seems to happen. And they said, no, no, we don't. We don't do that. You, you either come back full time or you, or you don't come back. Gosh, really? Yep. True story. So wow. anyway, so she's a chartered quantity surveyor. Yeah. Um, very talented and uh-huh. you know, runs her own business and earns more than she ever would working part-time or full-time. <laughs> so, there you go. So, you know, and and, and she's got the full flexibility of, of what she wants to do and yeah. and, and the full you know, two hands on the wheel. So uh-huh. the industry and that you know, company has lost her because of that. So mm. now we've come a long way since then, but that was only yeah. 15 years ago and that really, wow, that really brings yeah. it home. That, that I'm sure there's pockets of that still around, uh-huh. um, but – in saying that, you know, there's the push for the change of uh, making our industry more um, open to others, I think will dramatically help the skills gap going forward. In response to perceived quality issues, we are seeing a number of states imposing additional regulations on building practitioners. Obviously, our industry can always do better. What, what roles do you think professional institutions and industry associations must play in the future? Yeah, so look, yeah, there's a yeah, lots of uh, institutions and associations and practitioners out there. But mm-hmm. look, I suppose this led me to just think about the role, you know, certification of um, how that happens in our industry at the yeah. moment, and and especially the challenges New South Wales has had, yeah. and where it's gone to, which I think is for the positive. It's moving mm-hmm. forward, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of builders um, unfortunately underestimate what's required in a level of certification, and, and might you know. I say this, you know, leave it to the cadet in the last month of the project or something like that, when mm-hmm. it should be the first thing you think about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a dedicated trade and a, and a service and a, a consultant service itself. Mm-hmm. But I think the role that the certifiers and other designers can take, um, I think, can be more active. I'm not saying that's a problem of what they're doing at the moment. Look, as builders, I think we need to pay for that as yeah. well. Um, so most often they're not, and this happens, you know, very recently as you get to the end of the project and you you go through your sign-off and your certification and so forth and there's, mm-hmm. there's issues. There's lots of you know, minor things here and there can be fixed and, and what have you. But yeah. um, there's some sort of – I've seen some clients of, of certification issues especially. And I thought, well, how on earth do we end up like that yeah. when we've got everyone there, we've got all the professionals involved, including us, yeah, they're yeah. there. Yeah. Um, how did that – things like this slip through? Yeah, okay, it can be fixed, but it costs money. You yeah. know, I've seen bathrooms ripped out not to standard. Uh-huh. Very recently, really? so I've seen um, lack of skills, understanding DDA standards in, in in bathrooms, which is just an essential. You should know waterproofing standards, balustrade standards, all this, the the, the nuts and bolts of what we should know yeah. as, as builders and, yeah, yeah. and as people. I think can be improved on. It can be dramatically improved on. It. And I think you know the. Um, whether I'm allowed to say this or not, but there seems to be an insurance <laughs> drive from from some consultants. Yeah. <laughs> so the insurance insurance cover seems seems to play a role of what can and can't be said, which is a bit of a shame. Um, yeah. And it's, I won't give any examples of that, but it has mm-hmm. been said to me once or twice, well, I can't do that because of my insurance, I can't do that. Thought, oh, well, okay, yeah. how do we move around this? And that you know, I haven't heard that before. You uh-huh. know? So so there seems to be a drive there, which which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that together you mm-hmm. know, we can invest upfront on projects, get them right. Um, yeah. 
and it's, it's certainly heading in the right right direction. Um, so we're incredibly supportive of improving the industry, but everyone needs to, to do that right across the supply chain, and we all need to help each other there. So I think the, it comes back to the you know, driving down of, of programs, driving down of consultants' fees, driving down of the of the bits that you think is going to save you money in the tender. It yeah. doesn't save you a thing. That's right. Yeah. Not at all. So I think there's a role everyone can play there to, yeah. to help, including institutions, to help support that going forward. Definitely. Good answer. So finally, Matt, what legacy do you hope to make an impact with at Roberts Co? And what would you most like to be remembered for? Well, I was thinking uh, about that. <laughs> well, it's a bit early for me to be remembered. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't even walked in the office yet. I haven't even, a lot of them haven't met me yet. So I hope yeah, yeah. I, can, I can meet them first before they try and forget me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but look, I think um, how I roll is like I'm a relationship driven leader. Yeah. Um, I'm a people person. Yeah. I believe in other people. I'm quite positive. Uh-huh. Um, what makes me happy? And, and I really had to think about this about four or five years ago when I was really. Thinking about what to do next at the time, and and and, I, and someone said, "Well, Matt, what actually makes you happy in your job? Think yeah. about that one time you're the happiest, and yeah, and that that time was a project I finished, and I think it was four staff that were working under me became project managers on the next job, and I thought, wow, I've I've helped them, I've moved them on, and that might sound as corny as you sound, as you like it, uh-huh. but that actually made me happy. That was one of the most happiest times I, I dealt with, and and so yeah, yeah. so growing the people around me, um, seeing them go off to bigger and better things. Um, and also the projects like the precincts we worked on and yeah. seeing them improve, mm-hmm. um, that makes me happy. So that's that's really what I'm about. I'm going to continue to drive the change the way we work. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be very strong in you know, diversity of our people offering, ensuring we remain agile in everything we, we do. So I really yeah. want to everything, every step we take, every yeah. every decision that gets made, every potential procedure that gets implemented, it's got to be agile and it's got to be have be value-driven or value-centric. It's got to provide value to the front line or to our clients or to our staff. Um, so I'll be arriving with it with a lot of energy, enthusiasm, belief and, and, and passion. Love it. And I'll be looking to, to bring um, the whole of Robert's Co. along with me. Matt, you're certainly going to kick goals when you start a new role in February. Congratulations again and all the very best of luck. You're going to smash it. Thank you very much, Paul. Been a pleasure. I'm Paul Angus. You've been listening to Talking Buildings. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sipsy Australia and New Zealand production. You can download previous episodes or subscribe to future ones by searching Sipsy Talking Buildings. That's C-I-B-S-E on your favourite podcast app.